This episode is brought to you by Dietz and Watson. Uh, Molly, it's time we have the talk about hot dogs. Oh, oh, okay. Well, hey, (laughs) I'm looking for a hot dog that's the real deal, Matthew. Like a classic hot dog that like when you think of like the platonic ideal of a hot dog, Mm -hmm. I recommend Dietz and Watson's Dietz Dogs. Ah, well, I've heard that they're handcrafted and made using only Dietz and Watson premium meat. I can vouch for this because Dietz and Watson sent us a big box of hot dogs and other delights. And wife of the show, Lori, and I had them for dinner last night. We had uh, the classic beef Dietz dogs with uh, toasted buns with sauerkraut and pickled jalapenos and Dietz and Watson ballpark style yellow mustard. Do you think you'd recommend Dietz and Watson hot dogs for fried rice? Oh, yeah. Fried rice with some sliced hot dogs. I'm going to be doing that soon. Wife of the show, Lori, is going to be making the hot dog flour buns from Christina Cho's cookbook, Mooncakes and Milk Bread. Very excited for this. Mm, And I'm especially pleased because Dietz and Watson does things the right way. So this means like no additives, no fillers, no artificial flavors, no cutting corners. You can feel good about this stuff. Dietz and Watson. It's a family thing since 1939. Shop now at Dietz slash the right way. That's Dietz, D-I-E-T-Z, and Watson.com slash the right way. I'm Matthew. And I'm Molly. And this is Spilled Milk, the show where we cook something delicious, eat it all, and you can't have any. Today, we are talking about chef techniques. And this uh, this episode was suggested by listener Brandon, who has uh, suggested a couple of really good episode, episode topics before and also is waiting for us to do fried chicken, which we really need a guest in order to do. Yeah. But we will get to that at some point. We will. Um, and some of the techniques, I will identify some of the questions below come from Brandon's suggestions of uh, chef techniques that he would like us to talk about. Mm, Okay, great. great. Um, But uh, I thought this would be fun if we do use these techniques. If we don't, you know. Yeah, Uh, it's going to be so fun. I can't wait. Okay, so uh, let's go down memory lane. When you when you hear the term chef techniques or chefy techniques, which I wasn't sure quite which one to call the Mm -hmm. episode, what do you think of? Well, I mean, first, I think of I think of working in restaurants. Sure. Uh, I have worked in two restaurants. I worked in Greens, uh, the vegetarian restaurant in San Francisco. I was an intern there uh, one of the summers that I was in college. I should also say I was not even there for the full summer. I discovered I hate working in restaurants, and I think I only stayed for maybe six or eight weeks or something. That's a long time still. Um, And then the other restaurant I worked in was the one I owned, and I still hated cooking in restaurants, but I did it for four months. And and you you were like the salad person? Yeah. So I was was explaining this to June the other day. I was like, Dada made the pizzas, and I did everything else. And June was like, whoa. And I was like, no. Is that literally what they said? Uh, yes. No, June was like, wow. And then before I <laughs> wait, could wait, even say anything. Did they say wow or whoa? <laughs> before I could even say anything, June kind of like did the math and was like, oh, wait, everything else on the menu is like salads or like cold starters mm-hmm. and desserts. So, uh, you know, to be clear, it, it required that station requires a lot of prep and then like plating of things. Sure. Um, but not so much. And we're going to talk about prep heat. and plating. So, um, and in addition to that, of course, like, I think a lot of what I know I learned from watching the Food Network, like, starting when I was in high school, like, maybe my senior year of high school, 
I think I started geeking out on the oh, Food yeah, Network. Oh, yeah, me too. And then, of course, a whole lot of books. David Rosengarten's Taste. Yes. God, that was my favorite. <laughs> oh, like, it was my favorite, too. Uh, hands yeah. down, that, that favorite. And, uh, oh, God, I can't remember her name. Sarah, Sarah Moulton. Moulton. Yes, of course. You had a crush on Sarah Of Moulton. course. Yeah, no, she's, she's very cute. Still do. I wanted to say, too, that I feel like when I was growing up, there were many more, like, sort of chef technique books that were, uh, like... In my parents' collection than are in my own. So, for instance, Julia Child's The Way to Cook. Oh, yeah. uh, Which I actually have a copy of and uh, and treasure. Do you have La Russe Gastronomie? I don't. I don't. That that was always, uh, I'm sure my mom still has it. um, And it was always on the shelf. And and like it was the kind of book like I would pull it out like, "Mm, this looks interesting. What the fuck is this? Yeah, no, it was (laughs) it was not like a fun, fun read. I mean, unless you were that that kind. Kind of I was talking to someone recently person. about how uh, we had we had like a like late 60s edition of the Encyclopedia Britannica that had like red leatherette binding and uh, or like like burgundy colored. Yeah. And I would absolutely read the encyclopedia for fun. Oh, yeah. No, that is a, a favorite pastime. Yeah. The other person who I really associate with these books on like chefy technique is James Peterson. Mm. Do you remember him? Yes, of course. So sauces. Yep. What else? Like yeah, like a French cookbook. Yep. And they were always very like heavily illustrated, you know, with like all the steps. Kind of like, I mean, for for like current day cookbook readers, think of like Kenji Lopez-Alt's yeah. books, right? James pa- Peterson. I keep wanting to say James Patterson. Yeah. Different author. Yep. James Peterson was doing that kind of like step-by-step illustrated stuff but in more like classical French technique. Yeah, it's like uh, uh, Alex Cross dismantles a chicken. That's Is that a James Patterson character? It's what came to mind. It was a great joke. You're let's, so, let's just... You're so happy about this joke. You're just sitting there grinning. Anyway, but um, but yeah, I remember I remember when when James Peterson... I don't even know if he's still living. I don't know. Let's, um, let's see if we can find but out. But anyway, I remember when some of his like tomes came out oh, and yeah. how important they really felt for anyone who was interested in cooking. It seemed like you had to know this stuff. James Peterson is an American writer and cookery teacher. He studied chemistry at the University of California at Berkeley. His first book, Sauces, came out in 1990. So yeah, I'm so glad you brought that. I've not thought about James Peterson in too long. Um, There were a couple things I used to cook from his French cookbook. Mm. I think my dad had uh, had sauces. uh, And then I think I had a couple of books that came later, but I no longer have them because I just didn't use them. James Peterson had a, a smaller book called The Duck Cookbook. And I, there were like duck leg recipes that I would make. Cause like I started getting, uh, th- there was this recipe in the New York times that called for duck legs and I like started getting really into cooking duck legs. And then, and then I was, got the James Peterson book. Is this Peterson like a book. late, late nineties thing? Uh-huh. Or, like yeah. early two thousands, I yeah. think. Mm-hmm. The duck era. The duck era. Um, for me, uh, the author that I associate with chef techniques is Michael Ruhlman, yes. of course. And mm-hmm. so especially the books, The Making of a Chef and The Soul of a Chef. Uh, the Making of a Chef is about like a, a year in the life of students at the Culinary Institute of America. I read that one. S- Soul of a Chef is like three like long extended essays. Uh, the most memorable one being about the uh, certified master chef exam. I skipped that book. Um, it the certified master chef exam part is wild. I highly recommend it. Yeah. Um, and like these, they're like doing just things that 
never need to happen like making a ballotine which i if i remember correctly is like you bone a chicken and then you like take the skin of the chicken which you've removed without without tearing it and like make a like a football shaped like thick concoction is this like a french turducken it's like a french turducken yeah <laughs> but but it's like it's a chick chick chucking um, <laughs> and uh so doing things like that and like and like i loved reading about all of these things that i knew i would never ever do myself it's so interesting i mean there was a time when i loved reading all of that stuff me and, too and i found it really interesting and somehow i just got like super turned off of and tired of chef culture it's not that i was ever yeah. that interested in chef culture but somehow it felt entertaining for a while you know for me i think it's i think it's that fast and furious movies have replaced that <laughs> for me that okay. like you know I'm, I'm not I don't even drive a car let alone race a car mm -hmm. but I do love watching watching people do it in a movie you know speaking of which uh, Matthew we should just let everybody know that for our our paying subscribers we recently did a bonus episode that's right uh, on Fast X or Fast 10 yeah we forced Molly to watch it and uh, the results were kind of exactly what, you, what you'd expect <laughs> Yep. Okay. Well, okay. So let's go through this list of like sort of chefy techniques and talk about whether we do them or don't do them and why. Yeah. And I, so I made the list and I'm sure there are a million things that I left off. So if you think of any like during this that you want to add, go ahead. Listeners, if you think of any and want to like write in at contact at spilledmilkpodcast.com, maybe, maybe we'll like uh, revisit this as a segment at some sure, point. Sure. Sure. Uh, I'm going to put on chapstick. Would you okay. please introduce yeah. the first chefy technique? I put, on, I put on some chapstick earlier today. It was a, it was a very fruity flavored one. Ooh. Mm. Okay, the first five are from listener Brandon. Okay. Do you mise en place? Yes. Me too. I do. I feel like a mise en place. Uh, and so f I think all of our listeners know what this means. But basically, this means preparing, measuring out and making available like within arm's reach all of your ingredients before you really begin cooking. Yeah, I find this so satisfying and it's so stressful to cook without doing it that Absolutely. way. Absolutely. I always do a mise en place and I don't even think about it. I, I think it's just... If you cook enough, it f it really feels obvious that you need to do yep. this. Oh, I thought of one to add to the list. Okay. Uh, okay. Number two, also from listener Brandon, do you pay attention to plating? Absolutely not. I would say for me, absolutely not like 95% of the time. Okay. And then occasionally when I plate something like semi-nicely, my family is like, whoa, look at that. Would this be like if you were making duck, for instance? If I was making duck, for instance. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Like, yeah, if it's like bistro night. We did the bistro night episode. If I had like like a leg of duck confit and like a little salad that like you know, nestles in the crook of the duck leg and like, I don't know, mashed potatoes or something like like when you've got like like, you know, like a like meat and two veg that you can like arrange nicely on the plate or like a piece of fish on top of a salad. Okay, well, I have to say one thing. Number one, for my birthday this year, Ooh. would you make me bistro night? Yeah, I okay. would love to. Okay, I want that for my birthday. Do you want me to like come to your house? Year. No, no, no. I'll come to your house. Okay. I mean, unless you want to come to my house, but I think you'd probably prefer cooking yeah, in your own I think house. So. Okay, hold on. The other thing I want to say is I mean, I think the reason that I don't ever pay attention to plating is that we always serve dinner family style. Mm -hmm. So even if it's like a Dutch oven full of soup or whatever, I let everybody serve themselves. We and usually so, do it that yeah. way, but not always. Yeah. 
Um, and I think some of it is, I mean, some of it, I think for me has been really intentional in the sense of like uh, letting my kid decide how much oh, yeah, of things they absolutely. want. So I think that's part of why I, I have never really cared about plating because I really want everybody to have the like agency to choose how much they're eating. I like that. Yeah. Um, but then everyone is responsible for uh, creating a beautiful plate that they've served up themselves, and you have to approve it. That's right. That's how it works. Okay. Next, velveting food, especially in Asian cuisine. So I'm gonna I'm gonna say honestly that I did not know what velveting meat was until my friend Joe was telling me about how he makes like stir fried beef with broccoli at home, and yeah, I was like, so what? You, like, put some like egg white in there, and then pass it through oil quickly, and then stir fry it. Like the, the egg white is not always part of it, but that's basically the idea. Hold on. Can you explain? Like, so in the context of like beef and broccoli, what would you do with the beef? So you'd have these like sort of thin pieces of, of beef. Yeah. And you toss beef. that with some like egg white, cornstarch, uh, salt, salt or soy sauce. Yep. Um, and then uh, heat enough oil that you're like shallow frying and like blanch it in that oil, drain it. And then stir fry those pieces. Ah, so so it gets very has a very like like you know, it's tender and has like kind of a smooth, slippery kind of texture. Okay, okay. And I think that this is like really essential to what we think of as the texture of something like beef and broccoli. Yeah, I almost never do it because I'm too lazy. Uh, my grandfather, who loved cooking Chinese food, uh, was a big proponent of velveting. Okay. Okay. I'm surprised that you don't do it. I mean, it seems... Yeah, you're right. I should. I mean, it does seem annoying to, like, do this shallow frying. I mean, you neither you nor I have a real, like, functional exhaust fan. Right. And so... You know yeah. what I recently got? So, in preparation for what's uh, sure to be, like, uh, horrific wildfire smoke later this summer, we got an air purifier. Ooh. Like, uh, the the one that Wirecutter recommends that, yeah. uh, that seems like everyone it, has. Yep. Yep. Um, and the, I was making burgers the other day, and I was like, ooh, I am going to test this out on, on burger smoke. And so, like, I put it on, like, the light turned red, saying, like, like bad air quality. And then it went to purple and then to blue over the course of, like, 30 minutes. And then everyone was like, wow, it doesn't even, like, smell like burgers in here Oh, my anymore. God. I'm totally going to buy this thing. Yeah. Wow. Um, Matthew, I don't know if I've told you, but so we have an air purifier. I'm not convinced that it works super well. I don't even remember, like, what the brand is. I'm not going to name names, but we have tried passing gas over it <laughs> to see what happens. <laughs> And? and I was able to turn it red. <laughs> I'm really proud of myself. Wow. Yeah, it was pretty cool. I think the thing about them is they like <laughs> the basic one you get like doesn't doesn't cover a very large square footage. Yeah. And we we need to get a better one. Yeah. Or or multiples. Yeah. 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 OK. Uh, all right. What's the next one? Homemade mayo slash aioli. All right. There was a period in my life when I made homemade mayo. I've seen you do it. We did yep. a mayo episode. And I think that when we did the mayo episode, I mean, it was way back, right? Like yeah. Probably within the first 50 episodes. Um, I'm pretty sure I had not yet had children. <laughs> <laughs> I think um, it was later than that, but let's really? find out. So I usually, um, I mean, I made a lot of mayo working in restaurants for sure, or like catering, doing catering gigs. I made a lot of mayo. You're not going to believe this. When was Episode it? Episode 369, really? January 2019. No way. Yeah. Okay. Well, I find mayo to be really satisfying and easy to make. 
That said, I don't often make it. I am really happy with Best Foods Mayo. Uh, yeah, I've never done it, uh, except like I, I stood next to you like the time the time you did it in my kitchen uh, and, and you did it with great confidence and uh, – I was I was very impressed and I certainly haven't done it since then. And I should say I've always found aioli a bit tricky because even the mildest olive oil oh, creates yeah. can, can create bitterness. Um, so, yeah, I find aioli tricky and I would like to better understand how to make aioli. But I probably won't need to for another 20 years or so. Yeah, you might have to go back to France and like study at, at like. Yeah, that sounds uh, good. Université d'Aioli. Um, <laughs> uh, homemade stocks. Ooh, ooh, ooh. Okay, homemade stocks are something I still do, but I don't like go out of my way to like buy ingredients to make it. It's more like if we have a roasted chicken, I'm going to save all the various stuff that we don't eat and the bones and whatnot and throw it in like the instant pot Mm -hmm. with uh, carrot, onion, celery, maybe um, whatever herbs we have around and like let her rip. I do not make homemade stocks hardly ever. I, you know, it's it was a thing where I just had to kind of let it go and admit that I'm not going to be the homemade stock person, even though I want to think of myself as the homemade stock boy. Some of the I'm a stock boy. Some of the dishes that we use like better than bouillon in, I think they taste more to our liking with better than bouillon than with oh, my yeah, no, I was stock, so happy when, sure. when I discovered that my favorite risotto is risotto made with a with a nor bouillon cube. Yeah. 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 Uh, I, wait, I do want to say that once and this was definitely pre children um, for uh, for New Year's, we had some friends over. I was married to Brandon. We had some friends over and I made this recipe that was in Gourmet Magazine, which it was still in existence at the time. Okay. Uh, maybe this was like New Year's 2008 or New Year's 2009. Oh, like just and before we started the show. They had a recipe for like scallops in like um, like a creme fraiche almost like consomme type wow. thing. I mean, it was, I'm not describing it well, but basically what it had you do... Like a really sour consomme. <laughs> no, what it had you do was basically uh, make a fish stock using whatever white fish you could get uh, parts from at your, your fishmonger. And I remember I went and I got like halibut fins and stuff like that. Me too! Because you can totally do that uh, at like these great fish markets we have around here. I went and I got like these big, gorgeous, like sort of off cuts from halibut and I made a fish broth. It smelled so good. And basically all I had to do was take some of that. And I think I like whisked some creme fraiche into it and maybe a little something else. And that was kind of like the base for then like some seared scallops. It was in Incredible. I also had the experience, like, I think just one time of making fish stock, I went down to, like, pure food fish and said, just give me, give me, like, some stuff for making fish stock. I felt like on the way home when I had this bag of, like, assorted fish parts, I felt like I was coming back from, like, a murder. Mm-hmm. And and then when I got home and, and, like, put this all in the pot, like, this looks terrifying. Uh-huh. Like, is this really going to be edible? And it was so good. I think I was making fish chowder. I feel like fish stock is one of those things that, uh, like is so much more than the sum of its parts, even more than chicken stock. Like there's something that makes you feel really chef-y about making fish stock. Absolutely. This episode is brought to you by Town Place Suites by Marriott. 
Whether you're traveling for work, need a place to stay while your home is being remodeled, or maybe you're just enjoying a relaxing week away, well, Town Place Suites by Marriott has all the comforts of home. Yeah, so they've got a full kitchen. Uh, they've got you can borrow appliances like if you want a blender or a slow cooker while you're traveling you can borrow it no charge uh-huh so like you could invite your friends or your coworkers over for like a post meeting drink you can bring your pet totally you, allowed oh I love this oh I see they even have special pet items you yep. can use and they have the built-in alpha closet system nothing makes me happier <laughs> when I am traveling and I have like a place to put away my clothes mm-hmm. Molly has seen what happens when I don't have a place to put away my clothes nobody wants to see nobody, that nobody yeah so like a whole closet system where I can really like unpack for reals I am down well this is made for you then and this is town place Suites by Marriott. Town Place Suites by Marriott has all the amenities you need to feel at home during your stay. Find the comforts of home at Town Place Suites. Go there with Marriott Bonvoy. This episode is brought to you by Masterclass. Masterclass is the website that takes you from that thing you've always wanted to learn to learning that thing. Well, and you can learn it from the person who's literally the best at it in the world. Oh, come on. Really the best in the world? Yeah. Like, remember I watched those videos with uh, with Steph Curry on, like, you know, how to have proper, like, basketball shooting form and That's stuff. That's right. You And you have been sinking so many threes <laughs> since then. It's ridiculous. I just can't stop. Um, okay. Well, I took... Took a class with Hans Zimmer, film composer. Maybe you've heard of movies such as The Lion King. Mm. Maybe you've heard of Gladiator, yep. The Dark Knight. Dune. He did all of those. I loved And Dune. now he's teaching me how to do it. Like the art of making Has people feel to things. This? To, to teach me? Yeah. Yeah, because, because I've got a master class subscription. Oh, okay. All right. Well, you know, Matthew, I also hear that if you want to take a class, say, from like Alice Waters or Thomas Keller or even like Yotam Orolengi, you can get essentially what are like private lessons. Now, granted, they're they're. They're on masterclass. Yes. But private lessons. He from right. Odalengi doesn't come to your house, That's but right. virtually he does. That's right. So Masterclass makes all of this possible. And you get unlimited access to the very world's best teachers. And you will get 15% off an annual membership right now at masterclass.com slash spilled milk fifteen. Get fifteen percent off right now at masterclass.com slash spilled milk fifteen. Masterclass.com slash spilled milk one five. Okay. Do you do these things? Do you wash dishes while cooking? Uh yes. Yes, I do. I give myself like a C minus on this. This was something my dad taught me that you should always clean up as you go. So whenever I have a break in a recipe, I try to always do all the dishes that have accumulated up to that point. Yeah, I if if it's if there's something with a good break. Like then I will use the break for that, especially if I'm listening to a podcast. If uh, if it's something where there isn't like a defined break, like you know when I've seen chefs, real chefs cook, they will do it anyway. Somehow I will mm-hmm. not. Okay. Okay. Uh, do you flip food in a skillet or wok with a confident flip of the wrist without using a spatula? So you're like throwing the food up in the air and it all comes down into the pan. Nope. Every once in a while, I will do this on a very small scale, like with some like uh, potatoes that I'm sautéing or something. Ash can do it with fried eggs, um, but sometimes with, oh, it breaks the yolk. Yeah, but, but yeah, I bet it looks cool. It does look really cool. It's hot. Okay, do you sous vide? Absolutely not. <laughs> Me neither. <laughs> Never have. Do you flambe? 
Uh, only for the show. Okay, yeah. Yeah, that or, was so or like fun. Bananas Foster. We should or, make that again. God, so it was, it was so, so good. good. And, and hey, hey, maybe we could have that after Bistro Night. That's a great idea. And we can, we can like set the fire next to the air purifier. Yes! Woo! Um, do you clarify butter? Absolutely not. I have, like, at least occasionally. I don't know why. Um... You once clarified the butter that you used to brush on a grilled cheese you made for me. What? I know. I was like, what? Or no, maybe it was just that you melted it. And now I always melt the butter too, but no. (laughs) Yeah, I did melt it. I don't think this, I I think I've been slandered. My, I remember um, my parents. So when I was growing up and my parents would cook artichokes, we would always eat them with what my mother called drawn butter and lemon. Right. And drawn butter would be clarified butter. Okay. I don't really choose to eat my artichokes that way now. Mm-hmm. I like them dipped in mayo oh. with uh, with mustard and lemon mixed in. Yeah, that's not going to be me. Okay. okay. Uh, do you ever use impressive amounts of butter? Right, like you know, like one of the one of the secrets of restaurant cooking is they use like awesome amounts of butter or olive oil that uh, you would feel weird doing at home. Um, no, I wouldn't say that I use impressive amounts of butter by restaurant standards, but I do think that especially running a restaurant and and knowing a number of chefs, I think that I feel more comfortable cooking with a good amount of olive oil and butter than I think a lot of my like fellow uh, like white American cooks. Sure. The other day, so the reason I thought of this one is uh, that um, December's pick of the week was this recipe from friend, friend of the show, Just One Cookbook. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, for garlic steak rice, mm. and uh, it is—it's a dish where you make sort of, sort of like a fried rice, like a crisped uh, rice uh, that has a lot of butter and garlic in it, and you also like use a lot of butter to cook the steak. Um, and like as I was making this, I was like, "Oh, this dish—it's called garlic butter steak uh, or garlic steak rice because it has wait." There's no the word butter isn't in there. <laughs> anyway, it's this is good because it has so much butter in it, and uh, it was delicious. Oh my god! Okay, uh, so I'm gonna be making that again. Okay, I want to make it. I want to make it. Would you send me the, the recipe? Yeah, the rice gets a little bit crispy, Ooh. but like, but like you know, kind of uh, browned butter crispy, very satisfying. Oh my god! You need to send me this recipe. Yeah. I think my people would like yep. it. Spherification. <laughs> You must be kidding. <laughs> I've I've seen someone do it like in like live. Yeah, I mean I think that used to be a thing. <laughs> yeah, I th- I mean I think it's a still a thing that some chefs do sometimes. For sure. Uh do you ever use liquid nitrogen in the kitchen? No. I wish I did. I love liquid nitrogen. It's so cool. Liquid nitrogen ice cream is really incredible. Yeah. So smooth. Do you ever break down a whole chicken or fillet a fish? Um I have um I have broken down a whole chicken. I'm not very good at it. But I have broken down a whole chicken, and I, I will do it. Um, and I don't think I filleted a fish. That seems almost harder to me. Like, or like removing the skin from a fish. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I have definitely filleted a fish a few times. Like, like f- fish differ a lot in like how easy it is to fillet them. So I filleted like a mackerel, which is a very easy fish to Hold fillet. On. By fillet, what do you mean exactly? Uh, so take a whole fish and like 
remove like two or four, but in my case, the, the, the fish I'm kind of talking about, two boneless flat pieces from one from each side. Okay, okay. Uh, leaving leaving behind something that looks like uh, something that like Heathcliff would pull out of a garbage can. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. No, I don't think I've ever done that. Breaking out a chicken, I, I will do maybe like once a year. Mm-hmm. Like when I, there's this particular like like uh, Malaysian style braised chicken or uh, chicken and rice dish that I make that starts with a whole chicken. Mm-hmm. And I can do it every time I feel like I'm going to do it wrong. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's not something that I feel a strong need to master. I feel like I can do it well enough. Yeah. Cooking without following a recipe. I do it all the time. All the time. All the time. That said, I use... A lot of recipes. Yeah, me too. But I have a lot of basic things I can do without ever opening a recipe. Okay, like what What are a couple of them? Like beans and escarole mm-hmm. don't need a recipe. Yeah. Of course, anything involving eggs. Yep. Fried rice. I really don't need a recipe for fried rice, though sometimes I will remind myself of the amount of like seasoning that I like in it. Uh, let's see here. What else? Um, oh, God. So much stuff. Vinaigrette. Yeah. Roasted vegetables. Literally everything I do with roasted vegetables. Sure. Everything I do with salad. I don't even know the last time I ever followed a salad recipe. Burgers. Yeah, this is good stuff. Um, Roasted salmon. Oh, yeah. Don't need a recipe for that. Uh, What else? Oh, yeah. So things I do without, like the things that came to mind for cooking without a recipe, like improvising a braise or a stir fry. Okay. I'll do that all the time. Okay. Deglazing a pan. Um, I have deglazed a few yeah. pans in my day, but me too. I don't I don't feel like I do a lot of cooking that requires deglazing a pan. No, me neither. Making a roux. Yes, oh, I have. Okay. So I think of so I I'm going to say actually I'm going to alter this a little bit uh and maybe you will say that this is not making a roux, but I think I know what you're going to say. I'm going to say bechamel. So oh, that's so, absolutely making a roux. Okay. So yeah, basically like melting butter or basically. Uh melting butter, adding a little bit of flour, just keeping it blonde and mm-hmm. then adding milk. I made a souffle maybe like a year ago or something and I hadn't made one for a long time. And I used to feel really confident making souffles and making bechamel. I did something wrong in making the bechamel. And uh, I think I what I did was I overcooked the flour. Oh. And the bechamel like would not thicken. Like it would never thicken. And I wound up having to throw it out. June remembers it very well because <laughs> I was like completely mystified. I was like, what have I done wrong? Were you, st- were you standing in the kitchen with, with like a lost expression on your face? I was so frustrated. I oh, yeah. wasted so much or I just, it felt like a big waste. It wasn't that big a waste. So when I, I also thought of bechamel, which I've only ever made for making like a lasagna bolognese. Mm-hmm. And the other thing, which not doesn't really count as making a roux, but is kind of similar, is like sometimes when I'm making a stew or braise, I will like saute some like uh, mirepoix or, or vegetables uh, and then throw in like a tablespoon of flour and cook that up with them a little mm-hmm. bit mm-hmm. before mm-hmm. I add the liquid. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Great. Blanching vegetables. Uh, you know, occasionally. If I'm feeling, I don't know, if I'm feeling like I've got a lot of time on my hands when I make Sichuanese rice with, with beef or beef with, with celery and yeah, rice. Yeah, yeah. So the recipe that I usually follow uh, comes from one of Fuchsia Dunlop's books, and it recommends, um, you know, chopping the celery and then blanching it really quickly 
and right. draining it before you then stir fry it with beef and chili bean paste. I think I and usually do stuff. that. I have definitely skipped okay. the, the blanching, but it's so easy. I mean, you can even blanch it in the wok. I mean, as you would learn from Kenji Lopez Alt's The Wok, you can do like all of those things in a wok, right? That's true. So, yeah. Yeah, do I blanch? I, I definitely think of blanching vegetables as like a thing that that I would have read about in a chef cookbook more than a thing I would do at home. Not that it's hard. It's just like, like, what's the point of blanching vegetables? Is is it like getting like retaining the color or something? Yeah, something like that. I mean, I I, I think about. I think I would be more inclined to like do a long cooked, like boiled vegetable, mm-hmm. like Italian style or something, right. than I am to blanch things these days. Do you make charcuterie or cure meats? Absolutely not. But there was a time when I would have wanted to. Yeah, same here. I, for years and years now, I've been saying that I want to make another homemade corned beef, which is something I most recently did probably in like, I don't know, 2004 or something. I thought you made one for the show. Did I make one for I the think show? you might maybe have made one for the show. So yeah, so maybe 2010, because it would have been for our, for our uh, like Irish Spring episode, which yeah. I think was episode three, something like that. Something. Um, so okay, so yeah, I haven't done it since then, but it, but it, homemade corned beef is so good. Mm-hmm. It is really so much better than like a store bought corned beef, which is also pretty good. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. you know what? It's like going down and like asking for them to like like trim a brisket for me, and knowing that it's going to cost probably like seventy dollars, and like but. Yeah, I need to just, like, do it. Yeah. Do you make pâtés and force meats? (laughs) So I, uh, back when I had a column in Bon Appetit. Oh, right. um, I, like, so the column, the premise of it is that that, um, at least the majority of the time I was cooking things that I was not super familiar with cooking. So I was kind of, like, trying to sort of overcome some hurdles. Um, So I think I I really taught myself to make mayonnaise for that column. Um, So so you would say, would you say that this column is, like, force meat? to get out of my (laughs) rut. Um. But another thing I did was I made like a, like a country pate, like a French country pate. And I think I chose it because I knew that it was a little bit more within my comfort zone to make like a, a, like a course, like a country pate as opposed to like a, like a moose pate because I'm scared of, touching chicken livers sure although i love a chicken liver mousse yeah uh when somebody else makes it yeah no like i've bought chicken livers like in a plastic tub and like oh, opening yeah. that tub and seeing like a tub full of chicken livers is uh there's, there's challenging there's chicken liver in my my family's beloved thanksgiving stuffing recipe sure. and i i would not leave out the chicken liver but i'm always like mom would you please come over and deal with the chicken <laughs> liver yeah uh anyway so i made country pate um and, you know, like in a terrine, pork and whatnot. And uh, it's very easy. It's really easy. Sure. Um, I did. I do think I had to make it like three times to really get it exactly to my liking. And I've never made it again. Yeah, that makes sense. I've yeah. never done it at all. Yeah. Pickling. Oh, yeah. Pickling. I've pickled a little bit. My ex-husband is a is a big pickler. Big pickler. Big pickler. And so I don't feel a strong need to pickle myself. Um, I I generally make the same kind of pickle over and over, which is like I slice a Persian cucumber or two and uh, like toss that with salt, 
sugar, white vinegar, and uh, Korean gochugaru uh, chili flakes. That's my favorite pickle, and I make it all the time. And do you use it like right away? Do you need to let it sit for a little while? It needs to sit for at least a little while, but like same day is fine and it's better the next day and good for up to like three or four days. I love, you know, that just like super old school cucumber salad. It's like cucumber and either white or like rice vinegar Mm -hmm. with sugar and a little bit of salt and like some fresh dill. Oh, my God. It's served really cold in the summer. Nothing could be better. Do you pass things through a Tammy or Chinois? Absolutely not. (laughs) I love that you asked. Um, And that's the last one on my list. Did you think of any others? Do you you have a a Chinois? Oh, yeah. Like, I'm constantly, like... You know, I I feel like I've passed my, I have passed through it, Tammy, <laughs> over the last few years. Oh, we all out, have. Come out smoother and uh, less grainy. <laughs> okay. Okay. So the answer is no. Okay. Great. Matthew. Yeah. I've got a now but wow. Oh, let's hear it. Okay. As I mentioned in a recent subscriber newsletter, Mm -hmm. so if you're a paying subscriber, you got this newsletter, I have been really interested in learning more about loose leaf black teas. And uh, some of, a lot of what I I have been purchasing and enjoying, I learned about from actually the food writer Marion Bull, who writes for a lot of different publications. She's also a ceramicist, Mm -hmm. um, but I love her newsletter, which is called Mess Hall. Oh, nice. Anyway, so uh, anyway, she wrote a piece earlier this year about getting into black teas and she linked to a couple different producers or, you know, um, uh, distributors of teas that she really likes. And one of the ones that she mentioned was a really great everyday black tea um, sold by Nepali Traders. Okay. uh, And it is their Himalayan golden black tea. And we'll link to it in the show notes. Uh, According to the Nepali Traders, website. Uh, It is picked during the monsoon season in Sandakfu. I don't know how to pronounce this. Do you think I'm doing this wrong? I don't have an opinion. Great. Okay. Well, it's picked during the monsoon season in this region of Nepal. It's rich, deep amber liquor has notes of malt, clover, honey, and burnt sugar, highlighted by aromatic notes of apricot and clove. It is a great breakfast tea that can be enjoyed with or without milk and sugar. It was awarded the best black tea by the North American Tea Championship. Nice. I have been really enjoying this tea. How do you prepare it? So um, I use uh, about a teaspoon of tea per eight ounces. Mm -hmm. I let it steep for three to four minutes. Mm -hmm. um, And then I strain it and I drink it with no milk or sugar. This tea is so smooth. I'm very excited to try this next time I'm at your house. It's really, it scratches all the black tea itches, but it has a bit of a malty thing going on and it's so smooth and mellow. Do you strain it through a chinois? (laughs) Shut up. But yeah, I wanted to mention Nepali Traders. It's based in Boston. Uh, It's owned by um, a Nepalese couple, in fact, uh, Sunita and Rabin uh, Joshi. So I'm we not can, sure if I'm can, pronouncing their name right. We can definitely link to that in the show notes oh, so you yeah. can get your own because now I want some. Um, and I, I also feel like at least as someone who has primarily been drinking coffee for a really long time, tea feels very affordable in comparison. That makes sense. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I think I bought like a, a, can, a canister, two or four ounces of this tea, and it felt very reasonable. Okay. 
All right. Our producer is Abby Circatella. We we like plugged our stuff last time and yeah, probably a few cares? times before that. We're we're good. Mm-hmm. Uh, but please rate and review us wherever you get your podcasts. Oh, you know what? We uh, we need to refill our mailbag. If you got any questions for spilled mail, uh, send them to me at contact at spilledmilkpodcast.com. Great. Thanks for listening to Spilled Milk. The show that uh, that cleans itself constantly <laughs> while recording. <laughs> <laughs> no, but let's keep it. Okay, the show that uh, that's that's um... the show the show that's been cooking sous vide for the last thirty minutes at a balmy seventy eight degrees. <laughs> this, the last things went, this, things went so well last week. <laughs> <laughs> when we tried to do the closing joke. I was going to try to do something with spherification. Okay, let's hear it. Um, let's sphere it. <laughs> I'm Molly Wise. And I'm Matthew Burton. <laughs> <laughs> Bye. Oh, nailed it. Oh, uh, the... Uh, 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 like... Um, uh, the show that's that's uh, that ma- making a, a roux between your ears. <laughs> <laughs> Gross. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. 